I was ordered to brush Log's bodies. At first, I was terrified. My legs were shaking. They told me that I could use the longest brush. I asked, "Do I need to brush their faces?" They said yes. After the vivisections, the victims were unrecognizable. I was ordered to put their organs into a container. We use them to cultivate bacteria. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Second round. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The second round, the world source for anti-social commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags! Good evening. Welcome to Second Wrong, the world source for anti-social commentary. I'm one of your hosts, D. Simon, and I am the other host, the other one, Kate Rambo. Hello, hello, D. Hi. What's cracking there, Kate Rambo? Um, had to go take my cat to the vet this week. It's crazy cat lady time for me. I know we were chatting about that on the second show. Poor Chi-Chi. Yes. How's his paw? Do you get a cast? No, luckily he didn't have to have a little cast. But I thought they would put like a little condom or something on him. But he's fine. With a little cat condom? They do that, don't they, with dogs? When dogs have to like get their paws wrapped up and they have to go outside for walks, you put a little condom on them. Do they? And they need to take him. Yeah, and the, the, or to keep the cast or like a plastic wrappings. Yeah, like dry. a plastic condom, like a Magnum. Hey, I've I've learned something from like all my years of watching war movies is that condoms are incredibly versatile. <laughs> you can do a lot with them. Yeah, I mean, you can hide drugs can. with them. You can hide drugs. You can use them you to can carry water. Them in certain areas. You can you can use them to put them at the end of your gun. So. <laughs> So, uh, Kate Rambo got my COVID booster the other day. Yeah, crazy. How did you feel? Uh, You know, people were telling me that it's just like the second shot. Like when you get the second jab and you get sick, it's going to be rough. My body felt kind of achy and I did feel a little bit of a little, just kind of like I had a headache and a little feverish at night, but it wasn't, it, it was, it was like a fraction of uh, the pain I felt with the second shot. I actually didn't feel that bad with this one. And then, well, you I see, know. I wouldn't know, because both times, zero symptoms. Yeah, you then you probably means? would be fine. They say if you I'm an show... elite human. I have an elite immunity. That's what it means. Yeah, you're like an X-Men. You're like more evolved than I am. I think the worst part about it is I had to get rid of my laminated Vax card. <laughs> <laughs> because they got to give you another sticker. So she's like, why'd you do that? And I was like, Cause I wanted it laminated, so I carried it around. She's like, "You're gonna carry around your Vax card?" I was like, well, I, didn't, "I didn't want it to like deteriorate in my pocket." She's like, "Well, now I can't put the the you know the uh, the, the extra sticker on it, so I'm gonna have to give you a new card." So I got a new one. Now I got a normal one, just a normal card. It's not laminated anymore. Well, why don't you laminate that and carry around both of them like a card carrying nerd? I don't know. I think I'm just gonna keep this one. It was no, kind of like, I think you should laminate it. It was kind of like trading in like my Trans Am for like a Volvo, you know? <laughs> Does <laughs> this one just say, boosted? No, it's got three dates on it. I mean, that's cool. It's got Now it's got three dates, you know, three, which is cool, and that's impressive. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there at this, this point because my days of impressing the ladies with my laminated Vax card are behind me and now that I'm a married man. I'm not you cannot impress D. I don't think you were impressing any ladies with <laughs> with anything at any point. 
<laughs> well, whatever. It was good timing. You know, it's about it's about time I just kind of let you know Larry Birds go. That's what I call him. <laughs> I, I call my backs card Larry Birds, as in Larry gets the birds. You know, because it does. <laughs> Larry wishes he got the birds. <laughs> So I just kind of shoved Lair in my desk drawer, you know, next to my earring, which I wore on my left ear because... Is that the gay ear? No, I want to prove to everyone I'm not gay. That's why I wore it on the left ear. No, I think the left ear is the gay ear. It better not be. Which one did George Michael have pierced? That's the way I remember it. I thought it was the left ear you're not gay. Well, it isn't like... I thought the left ear would be gay because it's liberal. (laughs) I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it. I don't think it was about that. I don't know where the. I actually don't understand where that symbolism came from. It, from the eighties and from cruising, from Al Pacino in cruising. Did That's he exactly, have a it came left, from the village people? Oh, did they have an earring on the left or the right? We need um, a gay person to please write into the show and tell us which ear is the gay ear, the left or the right. I think it's the left. I don't know. I ended up just the fun side. I just ended up retiring Larry birds. You know, he's in there. (laughs) He's in my desk drawer. (laughs) He's with the earrings and uh, the gas station boner pills, which I don't need anymore. You ever see those (laughs) black mambas? Super. I love the names of the gas station boner pills. Black Mamba, Super Panther. Do they have those in England? The gas station boner pills? No, we have something called Pro Plus, which um, back in my youth, uh, when times were tough, we used to like buy packs of Pro Plus and we would um, chop them up, crush them and snort them. What does Pro Plus do? It's like a, a highly caffeinated little pill. It's like drinking, it's like, you know, four cans of Red Bull in one pill. Yeah, I've never, tr- these These are supposed to be like a, I don't know, like like Viagra, like gas station, like like an herbal Viagra or something. I've never oh, so tried they give you it. a boner. I, but yeah, they're gas station boner pills. Oh, I thought you meant they would. Uh, it would be like trucker speeds, where they just keep you. No, they have those. They have those. But there's, if you go to a gas station in the states, you'll see when you come here. There's like right by the cash register. There's like a bunch of these pills that are just like please her with rhinos and black fire. And it's just like there's these like nice. herbal supplement Viagra. My favorite one is Extends. It's I think it, we're going to need some of them in about five years' time. <laughs> I, I kind of want to get some now, just to, just to have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Extends reminds me of that movie Existens in the 90s. Yes. Did you ever see yeah. that? It was a Cronenberg movie, actually. That but was every, a great movie. Every time I, with later. Jude Law, I think Jude Law was in it. It's like a VR game that, like, went awry or something. Something happened. When, like Jude Law VR in game. the 90s, as a side note, was was great. And he did a lot of good roles. Shout out to you, Jude Law. I'm sure you're listening. Anyway, back to my COVID booster. So I went to, yes. uh, I called uh, Kaiser. That's the uh, HMO that I go to. Um, and uh, there's like, there's a bunch of different Kaiser facilities all through LA. But there's this one that I had never been to this one. It's a new one over here in Hollywood, like Hollywood and Romaine. So I go over there and they kind of converted it. The 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 parking garage into this like vaccination center. It's really weird. It's like, it's a parking garage, but yet there's like, it's kind of cordoned off into like different areas where you kind of like, they sort of shuffle you through in this queue to get like vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. It seems very sanitary. 
Yeah, exactly. In the middle of this fucking parking garage. And so I'm standing there in this queue for almost an hour. <laughs> There's wow. so many people. Yeah, I was fucking pissed off. Just to get like a, a what, a five-minute jab? You know, it's I wouldn't annoying. know. I've, I don't have to get the booster until next year. So well, I'm just, well, it wasn't just me getting the boosters, other people getting like the first shot or the second shot. So right. this woman in front of me was begrudgingly getting her first dose and she was not happy about it. She was like, I don't know, I'd say late 40s, looked Armenian, but could have been Hispanic. It's like, I don't know, sometimes it's tough to tell. Was um, she suave? Yeah, well, she was like darker complected and like darker hair, but. She could have been Hispanic or Armenian, I'm not sure. But she had like the full-on plastic surgery disaster face and massive titties that were so fake, they almost looked like cartoonish kind of fake. Oh, I wonder if she's like a, a retired porn star. That's what I was thinking. Old porn, like aging porn star who's becoming more and more insane and like, you know, gravitating towards QAnon and conspiracy theories as her beauty fades away. You know? Well, a lot of them are already kind of crazy to begin with, so this would not surprise me. Well, she was bitching. Like, she was bitching. It looked like she was on the phone, but I don't know if she was on the phone or if she was just talking to herself. But she was bitching about having to be at the clinic. Um, but she said like it was like her job. You know, said that they have to prove to, that they got to be vaxxed or they're going to be fired off the set. And that's what made me think she's an old porn star. Porn star. Because she was tiny. Yeah. She had big, massive tits. The plastic surgery. You don't see tits like that on Disney Plus, you know. She's not on a Disney Plus set here. <laughs> Sadly. Um, but she kept, she like, was like sitting there bitching about it. And she like looks at me and I'm just standing there. I was trying to like distance myself because you're supposed to be spread apart. You know, it's still COVID distancing. But she was leaning forward into my distance COVID safe space area. Into your bubble. Into my bubble. And she was saying, she's like, you know, the vaccine was never approved by the FDA. And the one that was approved is not the one that we're getting. She was like, the Pfizer shot that we're about to get was never approved by the FDA. They switched it. So what we're getting is the experimental shot. So what's going to happen to us, lady? <laughs> well, I know. I was, I was just kind of like, uh, okay. I, I wish I was wishing I had headphones in so I didn't have to deal with this. But I was just like, uh, okay. She goes, you don't know what it's going to do to your body or your mind. Is this this woman who has fake tits telling you that you don't know what it's going to do to your body? <laughs> to my mind or my body. Yeah. yeah. The woman with big massive fake tits and a whole face full of like silicone and collagen. Yeah. She was like, <laughs> not so in my if, body, man. She's like, so have you had it already? And I was like, yeah, I'm here for my booster shot. <laughs> this is the third jab. And she was like, well, you're fucked. And I was like, yeah. And I was thinking, I'm like, well, I think I was aware of that way before COVID. I mean, I've been <laughs> yeah. doing a fucking podcast for 15 years that no one knows about. Um, and then she asked me, she was like, so did you get sick? Were there any side effects? And I was like, from the first one or the second one? She's like, just from the shot. And I was like, well, the first shot wasn't that bad. But the second one, just explosive diarrhea all night. <laughs> just all fucking night into the next day. Whew, had to throw away my sheets. And uh, she just shook her head. And she's like, and that's your body trying to protect itself. Leave this woman is saying this to you. She has all this plastic surgery. That's so funny. I know. And she was just like, she's just sitting there like shaking her head. And then the nurse called her and she stood there for a second. And she looked at me and she was like, game fucking over. 
and just like walked, (laughs) (laughs) just walked away. And I was looking at her like thumbs up, like good luck. You know, you'll make it through. (laughs) And so then I got my booster, but it was weird. So I asked the nurse, because the nurse, you could tell the nurse was just kind of annoyed having to deal with, I think at this point, the people getting the boosters, they're probably like, oh, good, this person's here. But at this point, when you're dealing with people who are getting their first dose, you're dealing with the anti-vaxxers that have to do it for their livelihood. Like their companies yeah. are making them do this. Or even like restaurants and bars in LA, if you work at a, or a supermarket, you have to be vaccinated if you're going to be on site. So I think good. at and- this point, you're getting these reluctant uh, people who are coming in there to get vaccinated and they're very upset about it. Um, so I asked the woman, I was just like, so how effective is the booster, you know, the booster shot compared to like, you know, the first or second vaccines. And she was like, I don't know. No one knows. No one has a freaking clue. And I was like, okay, she's busting out fricking. You know, she's like, <laughs> but just stick just it kind of, in me, lady. Yeah, I think she was just annoyed, and I was just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna lay off this here. Um, but when I got home, you know, I looked this up, this whole thing about uh, the bait and switch, and you know, that's actually a popular conspiracy theory. Like, conspiracy theorists are, are asserting that the FDA never approved the actual vaccine that we're getting, and so there's this anti-vaxxer. I don't know if he's a QAnon guy, but his name's Greg Hunter. And uh, on his website, he says the big news the FDA has given full approval of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine is a huge lie. Okay, Greg, I believe you, Greg Kunter. <laughs> well, his cl- he claims that the vaccine that the FDA approved and the one in common use today are different. And that the FDA and Pfizer are involved in a shell game or like a bait and switch, basically. And it's a lie to trick the public into taking an experimental shot. I believe this this man, this man of science, Greg Hunter. I'm sure he was like looking, you know, he got some samples and he looked at them in his microscope in his lab. I'm sure that's exactly what he did, <laughs> what this man did before yeah, he I'm went sure on the internet. This guy knows as Twitter. much as like research scientists. Yes. Um, but what they're saying, and I guess the whole gist of what they're trying to say is that the vaccine we're getting is not the EUA vaccine, which is the emergency use authorized vaccine, which is what you got in the beginning of the of the of the covid virus or whatever when they when Pfizer first came out with it it's like the, they had to give the EUA vaccine to try to save people's lives but what they're doing now is they're testing different vaccines on us to see the side effects now the FDA is like this is completely insane <laughs> bullshit you know it's yes. like the FDA approved vaccines identical to the one the EUA vaccine that's been administered to millions of people around the world that's been tested by on millions of people around the world it's the same vaccine, but these people don't believe it. But the question is, much like this woman with the big tits that was disgruntled, how do you know they're the same? How do you know anything, any injection they've ever given you, even when you're a child for polio? How do you know what's in that? You know, you just put your trust in these people that you know, the government doesn't want to kill us. The government wants us around so that we can spend our money. We can push up the gross national product. We can buy, get into debt by buying houses and buying cars and keep their little money machine ticking along. They don't want us to die or to grow free fucking limbs or 20 Rambo. eyes. <laughs> D. No Simon. One, no one has a freaking clue what's in those vaccines. All right. <laughs> Sorry to use some harsh language here. But, uh, I have not a freaking clue what's in this speculum. Maybe the aging porn star and the conspiracy nutter are right. You know, the government 
could be experimenting on us. We might be human guinea pigs for the Illuminati to test out their biological weapons. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's what they say. They might be weaponizing these viruses and researching the effects on us. It's like, you know what? It, it's like Unit 731. Yay! There we All go. over again. History repeating itself. It does. <laughs> well, so D, we're going to get into this, aren't we? There's your lovely segue. You're yeah, isn't that a good segue? Yeah, I, I, I was it gearing was. up towards that one. But uh, yeah, I don't think the COVID vaccine even compares at any level to Unit 731. Oh, but like, it, strap in for this. It's gnarly. <laughs> this is one of the, yeah, I mean, Mengla's awful. What Mengla did, what the Nazis did, the experimentation that they did is awful. What happened at Unit 731 is almost unspeakable. And I think that's why a lot of people don't know about it. Well, we'll get into why a lot of people don't know about it. Well, it's on. interesting. Yeah. But it's an interesting topic. And I think it's also kind of apropos be, being that, wasn't it Veterans Day like a couple days ago? Or Armistice Day? This is Day? War Month. Yeah. It was. This is War Month. Uh, it's all war all the time. So, so like, loads of people do know topic. that World War Two was a horrible time for millions of people. And we all like, we know about the horrors of the Holocaust and the Nazi nasty, nasty Nazis. We all know about them, right? But in World War Two non-war is active or actually went on for as long as they did in the pacific theater and there are scholars and historians that say that japan actually started the second world war because they attacked uh, manchuria in 1931 and then they invaded china in 37 that invasion actually tri triggered the civil war and a famine that killed around four million people mm. so they're, they're nearly at holocaust numbers just just by that well, alone they, they were just going up and down like the pacific uh rim over there just like invading countries at that time you know who fought in the pacific theater i know two people who fought in the pacific theater uh red foreman from that 70s show and oh. uh, hank hill's dad cotton he killed 50 men oh i had no idea there you go and yeah so it was japan and occupied china that would commit one of the worst atrocities of the 20th century it was committed by the imperial japanese army unit 731 with some details of this unit's crime and activities, they're still uncovered to this very day. We'll never fully know whatever went on there. So for over 40 years, until 1984, Unit 731, it was a closely guarded secret. And then Japan kind of acknowledged what they had been denying all along, which was human experiments in the name of germ warfare. No, they were, they were full on researching biological weaponry. Yeah, they yeah, were. at this point, like and in the doing 1940s, other gross and shit. doing like even just—I mean, I bet you Mengla actually would have been impressed what the Japanese were doing at Unit Seven Thirty One. I think they go too far for sexy Mengla. I think even Mengla would have been like, "Oh, Shiza." No. <laughs> I no, I think he would have been like, "Wow, these guys really know what they're doing." So Unit 731, it was located near Harbin, which is Jack Japanese-occupied uh, Manchuria, and it was commanded by uh, Shiro, Shiro Ishii. It was established in 1936. It comprised of about 3,000 personnel, little of which is known about these people. And there was 150 buildings that had the capacity for holding about 600 prisoners. Yeah, Unit 731 was shrouded in secrecy then, but, I mean, it was for, like, decades until, yes. I mean, well, Japan eventually acknowledged it, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, some of the secrets were actually divulged by Russia, the Soviet Union at the time as well. Now, 
Ishii, Shiro Ishii is an interesting, uh, interesting person. Um, he was a chief medical officer of the Imperial Japanese Army at the time, and he was in command of the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory. Uh, wow. He organized a secret research group called the Togo Unit for chemical and biological experimentation in Manchuria. And he had proposed the creation of a Japanese biological and chemical research unit in 1930. So this was like, I mean, this was in the early days, like before when World War II even kicked off. Japan was already starting to research biological weaponry. Um, I'm sure we all were to some degree, though. Well, I'm sure Germany sure was. Because one of, one of Ishii's main supporters inside the army was Colonel Chikahiko Koizumi, who later became Japan's health minister from 1941 to 45. And Koizumi had joined a secret poison gas research committee in 1915 during World War I, when he and other Imperial Japanese army officers were impressed by the German use of chlorine gas in, during World War I, in which the Allies suffered 5,000 deaths and 15,000 wounded as a result of a chemical attack. They were so impressed by this, they're like, we must harness this power. We must <laughs> we research this. We want it this. for our own. <laughs> exactly. So inside these buildings that uh, Shiro Ishii commanded, they, they had prison cells which had wooden floors and they had a squat-down toilet in each. It's very European. So there was space between the outer walls of the cells and the outer walls of the prison, and this would enable the guards to like walk around and patrol the cells. Each cell door had a small window in it, but you could barely look out of it. So you're basically in a completely pitch black room. Chief of the personnel division of the uh, Kawantung Army Headquarters, Tomori Tadashi, he testified that when he was shown the inner prison, he looked into the cells. And he saw living people in chains. Some people were moving around. Others were lying on the bare floor. And they were in a very sick and helpless condition. And soon you'll find out why they were in such sick and helpless conditions. The inner prison, it was highly secured. It had cast iron doors. And everything was recorded with like typical military precision. No one gets in and no one gets out. But there was one unsuccessful escape attempt. Um, yeah, so there's a book called Devil's Feast. There's, a, there's a, several books, actually, about Unit 731. They're pretty good. And a lot of documentaries you can find online. I, I watched a couple on YouTube. Uh, but there's a book called Devil's Feast by Saichi Moramura, who went into some detail regarding this escape attempt. It was two Russian male prisoners were in a cell with handcuffs on. And one of them was laying on the floor pretending to be sick. And so a staff man, member came into the room, or came into the cell, and uh, to look to see if, you know, if he was all right. And the guy, the Russian prisoner, suddenly sprang up and knocked the guard down. They then I took the it. keys, opened their handcuffs, and then opened other cells while yelling. And so prisoners, including Russian and Chinese, most of the prisoners were Chinese, but there were Russian prisoners as well, were frantically roaming the corridors and yelling and shouting. And uh, one, one Russian shouted to the members, the, like the, the police force of Unit 731, that he would rather be shot than used as an experimental object. He was shot to death. Another staff member who was an eyewitness to the escape attempt said they were kind of all lost like because they had no weapons. I mean, they were like barely wearing any clothing, you know. And so at this point, they just realized that there was nothing they could really do and that escape was just impossible. So they kind of just acquiesced and were all executed. And even if they had managed to escape the quadrangle, like which is the heavily fortified building, they would have had to get over a three-meter-high brick wall, surround the complex, and then cross a dry moat filled with electrified wire running around the perimeter of the complex. So there's no way 
you could wow. ever get out of that place. Yeah, it's impenetrable. Yeah. Yeah. So the the staff members there, they which are known as a special team, they worked in these two inner prison buildings, and they were dressed in white overall suits, army hats, rubber boots, and they had a pistol strapped to their sides. So there was no sexy Mangala black shirts for them. Yeah, I have a picture I'm going to post to uh, to the website, but it almost it, it's so reminiscent of Squid Game that it's it's kind of like it's kind of amusing. I mean, all they're missing was like a pink outfit with like the PlayStation symbol. I totally think that Squid Game, although Squid Game can't acknowledge it because I'm sure it would be a very devastating thing to the brand but if they did. It's Squid Game Had is based on this. Had to have been inspired by it. Yeah. yeah. So the prisoners, they would usually be brought in at nighttime. They would be brought in in cars that had been painted black. They had a little ventilation hole with no windows. If you've ever been in a band, you've all done tours in bands similar to this. So they would be transported through a secret tunnel, which was dug under the facade of the central building to the inside inner prisons. So like the concentration camps, one of the prisons housed men and children, uh, sorry, women and children, while the other prison housed men. So once you're inside the inner prison, um, technicians and scientists, they would take samples of like your, your blood, you know, they would test your stool is the scientific term, the stool. You test your kidney function and just, you know, your general physical well-being. So in the concentration camps, you know, Mengele would be looking at you and being like, you know, kill him, keep her. These guys are much more scientific about it. Once they'd been deemed healthy and fit for the experimentation, they lost their names. They were given a three-digit number, which they retained until their death or whoever won the squid game. <laughs> and whenever prisoners died after their experiments they had been subjected to, a clerk would simply strike their numbers off, an index card. They would take the deceased prisoners' manacles, and they would just put these on the new arrivals to the prison, who would then get their three-digit number. Were they allowed to like vote as to whether or not to stop the games and go home? I think they all would have voted to have stopped this game. <laughs> so prisoners, though, were repeatedly reused for experiments as long as they were healthy enough. But the average life expectancy of a prisoner once they entered the unit, the unit was only two months. So some prisoners were alive in the unit for over 12, and some female prisoners actually gave birth in the unit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So two months is less than the concentration camps and the gulags. Because I think Dachau and Auschwitz, you're expected to be there for four to six months. And the gulags was about the same. So this is less than that yeah, by wow. quite a margin. Two months is nothing. So the program, it received generous support from the government right up until the end of the war in 1945. It was supported by Japanese universities and medical schools. The medical schools supplied doctors and research staff. So it was officially known as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department rather than the We Boil People Alive and We Infect Them with Rare Diseases Department. It sounds a bit swisher. Doesn't yeah, it's it? a little more official with the, uh, the EPWPD. So much like Sexy Mangala, the department, it did have innocent-ish beginnings. So it, it did start as an agency to promote public health. And the goal was to conduct research that would benefit Japanese soldiers, such as learning more about the ways in which the human body can withstand hunger and thirst and fight diseases. Early experiments, they were conducted on volunteers who had signed up. So they would sign up and they sign consent waivers. They would give um, personnel permission to carry out these experiments. But, you know, as the war intensified, they changed their methods. 
so sexy Mengele and his Nazi mates. He's very sexy. He. I've talked about how I find Mengele very attractive. There's nothing wrong in saying he's an attractive but what man. Do you find, okay, attractive but what do you man. find sexier? Just like him physically or his hobbies? <laughs> <laughs> him. He's a good looking man. His Mengele, No denying. <laughs> he's one of the sexier of the Nazis. Like, come on. There's only like 10 of them who are good looking. And Mengele is definitely number one. So they were justifying their experiments on the basis of eugenics and like the Volkish movement, wartime research. And the Japanese did to some effect do that as well. They viewed the Chinese and the Koreans as racially inferior. And like the Nazi party, they were also very hugely patriotic, but rather than wanting to send all inferior races to a gas chamber, they just planned to move into their territory and set up imperialistic shop. But once they'd moved into enemy enemy territory, those that weren't selected to be used as prisoners would probably have been arrested and executed for resisting arrest or for being communist anyways. So everyone was doomed. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, though, with the Nazis, they did they did have justification for their evil doing. You know, it was racist, eugenics slash public health, because they were also trying to, like, figure out, like, how to, like, prepare their soldiers for you know, the elements and diseases and things like that, wartime national interests. And their victims were mostly what? Jews, Roma, also Soviet prisoners of wars. Um, Mm -hmm. But they were believed to be racially inferior to the German Aryan stock. So Nazi party propaganda, especially effective amongst physicians, described the threat posed the German Volk by racial contamination and unbridled reproduction among those with unfit genes. So what they're really doing is, you know, they're giving doing a favor to the flower of German youth by getting rid of these impure people. Whereas I don't think the Japanese, I mean, yeah, I think they thought the Chinese were racially inferior, but I think, uh, you know, I I actually think they were having fun doing this. Well, they definitely (laughs) were. We'll get into that. So you mentioned before about like who they had in there, like uh, in the units. So, Um, To begin with, the men and women and children of the local area, they would just round them up, mainly people in the local region. So they were Chinese, but there's also, you know, the Russian Chinese, there's Mongolians and there was Koreans. These people, they were referred to as logs. So this term originated as a staff joke because the official cover story for the facility given to the local authorities was that it was a lumber mill. But there is an account by a man who worked as a junior uniformed civil, civilian employee in Union, in Unit 71. And he said that the project was internally called him Hulkslotch, which is the German word for log. Hmm. But, but another reason they could be called logs is because once they died, once they perished, they'd just be chucked in the incinerator. So it's kind of a bit of a like very dark, macabre joke. Throwing also, logs in re- the fire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So also the researchers, they wrote of their subjects as if they were conducting experiments on primates. So they, would, they wouldn't necessarily always call them logs. They would call them Manchurian monkeys or long-tailed monkeys, which is very nice. Well, it sounds like though they're trying to like detach themselves from any kind of humanity, which I mean the Nazis did too, like comparing oh, Jews completely. to rats. Yeah. So the experiments 
that we're going to get into now. It involved infecting prisoners deliberately with infectious agents, exposing prisoners to bombs designed to penetrate the skin with infectious particles. Some experiments were also done to test human responses to freezing temperatures and other extreme conditions. There are no known survivors of these experiments. Those who did not die from infection were killed or they to be studied at autopsy. And in the waning days of the war, all remaining prisoners were killed to conceal evidence. There's no survivors. Well, You'll find out zombies. why. You got to get rid of them. You got to get rid of See, the Nazis, that's what, that's what they failed because they left evidence. That's so... Funny. One, el one element of the unit is called the Maruta. It took this research a little further than the usual bounds of medical ethics by observing injuries and the cause of disease on living patients. So we've got echoes of COVID conspiracy here. They also carried out field tests, right? It, this caused thousands of deaths. So what they did, they would spread plague-infected fleas, bubonic plague rats, and cholera throughout their entire local area where the unit was based. Wait, are we, and are we talking about Unit 731 or Pfizer? <laughs> hey, if you're that woman, this is <laughs> Pfizer who did this. They also weren't doing this in a way like, you know, the Nazis were very methodical. They were very scientific about this. They didn't do it like that. They did this in a kind of like willy-nilly fashion. Like, oops, I've dropped my Petri dish of cholera. <laughs> like, don't go down there, lads. There was no like, it's like you said before, they're kind of doing this in a what's going to happen type of yeah, way. Yeah, like they're curious. Like they're having fun. Like, what's going to happen next? What if, what if we do this? Like, I, yes. I kind of want to see what happens. So we have a, a Nagawa Yonzenzo. I am saying all these words wrong. I can't speak Japanese. I apologize. So he was a professor at Osaka University. He studied at um, Kyoto University during the war. And while he was there, he watched footage of human experiments and executions from Unit 731. So he said this about the playfulness of the, uh, the researchers and the scientists. Some of the experiments had nothing to do with advancing the capability of germ warfare or of medicine. There is such a thing as professional curiosity. Like what would happen if we did such and such? What medical purpose was served by performing and studying beheadings? None at all. They were just playing around. Professional people too like to play. Yeah, professional like sadists. Love to play. I, I would love it if you're like, you're going into work on like a Tuesday at Unit 731. They're like, hey, hey boys, what's on the menu today? And you're like, I don't know. Should we just like behead some people? All right. That sounds fun. Why not? Let's do it. Why not? So an army engineer, Azoto Yoshimari, who is a, um, a, a, a sociologist and an army engineer assigned to Unit 731, he took a special interest in hypothermia. This was like what got him off. So as part of a study in limb injuries under the Maruta, Hisato, he routinely submerged prisoners' limbs in a tub of water fill device and then held held in, until the arm or the leg are frozen solid and a coat of ice had formed under the skin. The Nazis did this also. We actually yeah, did an overkill episode about this. Nazis like oh, submerged the entire body. It's not just a limb. That's true. So this guy, to test if the limb was fully frozen solid, um, would say to his scientists, hit the limb with canes, and they would wait for the sound of the limb to sound like a piece of wood being struck like hollow on the inside, which is really rank. 
He uh, then tried different methods for rapid rewarming of the frozen limb. Sometimes, you know, he would douse the limb with hot water, which I'm sure wasn't painful at all. Sometimes he would hold it close to an open fire. And other times he would just leave the subject untreated overnight to see how long it took for the person's own blood to just like fall out, like defrosting uh, a chicken. Yeah, I mean, I wonder at that point, once you've frozen your arm solid, like do you just lose all feelings? Like are the nerves just frayed? Yeah, I think so. But when it starts to come back to life, it will be excruciating. When it starts oh, God. I mean, to be because that's your nerves coming back. It, I just can't imagine the pain. Well, the dousing with so, the hot water has got to be uh, pleasant. Holy shit. Like, what? So members of the unit, they referred to uh, Yoshimura as a scientific devil and a cold-blooded animal because he would conduct his work with such strictness. Like, if you were part of his team, like, you couldn't have mess around. You couldn't be, like, looking at memes with the boys on your lunch break. These are his co-workers. The guy's a scientific devil, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They would leave people, babies included, outside to see how long it would take for them to freeze to death. And Naoji Yuezono, I'm sorry, (laughs) trying my best, who was a member of Unit 731, he described in a 1980s interview a grisly scene where Hazato had two naked men put into an area which was 40 or 50 degrees below zero, and researchers filmed the whole process until the subjects died. The subjects suffered such agony, they were digging their nails into each other's flesh. It's brutal. His lack of remorse was shown in an article he wrote for the Journal of Japanese um, Physiology in 1950, in which he attempted, admitted to using 20 children and a three-day-old infant in experiments, which expo- exposed them to like zero degree Celsius ice and salt water. So he's like dipping them in salt water and then chucking them outside. I mean, this guy's like a complete and utter sociopath. Like he has just no feelings for humanity. I mean, just uh, a three-day-old infant to children. But wait, I mean- D, there's more. We're just getting going here. Thousands of men, women, children, infants uh, who were at the prisoner of war camps, they were subjected to vivisection. So for those that need a reminder, vivisection is the act of like splicing you open without um, anesthesia. So they literally vivisection is when you mutilate a human body without anesthesia to study the operations of living systems because they want the organs to still be functioning. This is, that's, it's medieval. It's medieval yeah. torture. Yeah. So those that had been deliberately infected with diseases, the scientists would even inject like multiple germs into a test subject to see if they could create new diseases. <laughs> this is like Pfizer, what they're I'm doing. I'm telling you, they're experimenting they be, on us. They are. They would be cut open while they were alive. They would have their organs removed before they died so that the researchers could study them before like any form of decomposition set in. Other sources suggest that it was usual usual practice for the in the unit for surgeons. They would just stuff a rag or medical go- like gauze into the mouth of prisoners before commencing on with the vivisection. Just you know, stifle you screaming, just to keep you a bit like quiet. So, in a video interview, former unit member um, Okawa Fukumatsu he admitted to having vivisected a pregnant woman. God, at that point, it's just like. Just complete disregard for humanity. I was reading another guy um, from the special team. I was interviewed in 1995 in a documentary, and he was remarking on his first vivisection. Like he was just 
reminiscing about the first vivisection <laughs> at the unit that he was a part of. He said he didn't struggle when they let him into the room and tied him down, the victim here. But when I picked up the scalpel, that's when he began screaming. I cut him open from the chest to the stomach, and he screamed terribly, and his face was all twisted in agony. He made this unimaginable sound. He was screaming so horribly. But then finally he stopped. This was all in a day's work for the surgeons of Unit 731, but it really left an impression on me because it was my first time. It was all in a day's work. <laughs> he Jesus. popped his vivisection cherry there. Oh, God. So those that hadn't had their limbs frozen and crushed would have their limbs cut off and reattached to one side of their body or maybe to someone else's body. Or your limb might have the circulation deliberately cut off so the researchers could observe blood flow, blood, lo blood loss, and ultimately gangrene. They were really interested in the process of gangrene too. Speaking of Cronenbergs, is, is that what they were making here? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Making monsters. One member of Unit 731, he later recalled that very sick and unresisting prisoners, they would be laid out on a slab and a line would be inserted into the cartroid artery. So when most of the blood had been siphoned off and the heart was too weak to pump anymore, basically when the, the subject had died, an officer in leather boots, he would climb onto the table and he would jump on the victim's chest with enough force to completely crush the rib cage, whereupon just like another drop of blood would splurt out into a container. So they're just like jumping on people to get yeah, but blood. But you can't waste any. I mean, you, come on. Uh, D, and uh, dear listeners, I think you'll all be happy to hear that Unit 731 had its own firing range. Just delightful. Well, that makes sense, though. It's like though. Squid Game. Got to test weapons so, out. Obviously, the effectiveness of weapons. It was a huge concern for the Imperial Army. Prisoners would be herded together on the firing range, they, firing range, and they would be blasted from varying ranges by multiple Japanese weapons. So we would have the Nambu 8mm pistol, bolt-action rifles, machine guns, grenades, the D, there's more. Bayonets, swords, knives, they were also studied in this way. Although the logs at this point, they would be tied to stakes for those experiments. Flamethrowers were used on both exposed and unexposed skin with the wound patterns and like the penetration depths of like bullets and knife wounds being compared to on the bodies of dead and dying inmates. Wow. This I guess modding. I'd rather do that than the vivisection if I had to choose. Well, you might want to go to their very own on-site gas chamber. They had their own on-site gas chamber too. What doesn't this compound have? Yeah, I was about to say, God, they're, they're very well equipped. <laughs> So here, the test subjects, they were exposed to nerve gas and blister agents. A former army major and technician gave the following testimony anonymously. So at the time of this interview, this man was um, actually a professor at a national university in Japan. In 1943, I attended a poison gas test held at the Unit 731 test facilities. A glass wall chamber about three meters square and two meters high was used. Inside of it, a Chinese man was blindfolded with his hands tied around a post behind him. The gas was adamsite, uh, which is a sneezing gas. And as the gas filled the chamber, the man went into violent coughing convulsions and he began to suffer excruciating pain. More than 10 doctors and technicians were present. 
after I'd watched for about 10 minutes, I couldn't stand it anymore and I left the area. I understand that other types of gases were also tested there. Jesus, what's sneezing gas? You sneeze yourself to death? I would seem so. I'd never heard of this, the sneezing gas. But, they, you know, they probably have a gas for everything. Man, God. <laughs> yeah, i never heard of that one. Like the Nazis as well, because in the early days of the uh, the gas chambers, they actually had portable gas chambers that were on like the back of trucks. They had similar. They had like a phone booth like <laughs> kind of portable ba- um, gas chamber. And they would like, you know, drive that out into the wilderness and just like gas you in like below zero like a uh, weather just to see what would happen. Yeah, but you never know when you might need it. That's what, that's what I'm saying. It's convenient. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, it's handy. A gas chamber on wheels. Some of the subjects, they would be forced to wear various types of gas masks for testing. Others would wear a military uniform. And, you know, sometimes they would just go in naked and that they would just deal with it then. Getting gas to the buff. That's what the Nazis did. They did. And subjects, they would be locked up. You'd be deprived of food, and water. And they would do this to learn how long that humans could survive without them. Victims are allowed to drink only seawater or they were given injections of mismatched human or animal blood to study transfusions and the clotting process. So that's very like Richard Chase, isn't it? You know, the vampire of Sacramento. Oh, yeah. Injecting uh, himself with cow's blood. You know, I'm surprised they weren't trying to make super soldiers because, you know, the Nazis were doing experiments like that. But I'm surprised. I mean, here, I think what they're trying to do is to find experiments that would probably make their soldiers, I guess, manage, you know, the travails of war a bit better. But I'm surprised they weren't just like trying to figure out. I mean, I'm sure they were. I'm sure that was in the back of their mind, but I'm sure I'm surprised they weren't like injecting them with steroids or giving like, you know, chimpanzee blood transfusions to make them into like some kind of monkey primate hybrid soldier. Well, they could have been. We'll just never know. Yeah, I guess we wouldn't. It could have been their goal. Uh, I said before, heavy objects, they would be repeatedly dropped on bound subjects to study crash injuries. Just, which is what just crushing people, like dropping too. bowling balls on people. Yeah, Nazis did that too. Yes. So the emphasis with the majority of these tests was actually to keep the log, the person, alive for as long as possible. So they were playing around with x-ray technology. So what they before prolonged exposure like sterilized and killed thousands of them they would be submitted to extreme burns so the scientists would like miscalibrate the x-ray machine they would play place the uh, the plate on like your face or your nipples or like your cashew cock and they would turn it up to 11 and the resulting radiation would like literally burn your balls off and you know, you'd still be kept alive you know they were placing bats I'm sure if they've done three-digit numbers, you know these people who are so callous were placing bets. Squid game. Yeah, no, totally. exactly. I think there was probably like a board and they would just kind of mark them off. And then like, yeah, there was probably a big pool of money at the end, like a big purse. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were definitely placing bets. And with echoes of those nas- nasty Nazis, to study the effects of G-force and parachuting paratroopers, they would load test subject after test subject into centrifuges, and they would spin them around like a record baby until they just simply died. Um, the younger children perishing long before the adults in those experiments. Ugh. So can you imagine just being sat there with like all these other people and just watching them all die one by one? Especially by being spun, spun around. around so fast like that. 
they also had extreme interest in the effects of venere- the effects of venereal diseases, which of course it's been the bane of organized military since the start of time. And this led to one of the most perverted experiments that Unit 731 would undertake. Male prisoners would be deliberately infected with syphilis and they would then be told to rape female prisoners. They would also be told to rape male prisoners in order to see how syphilis spreads in the body. You know, it's interesting. A treatment that uh, was being used at the time uh, was a primitive chemotherapy agent called Salversan, which was uh, administered over a period of months to, to, you know, to see what the side effects would do. So they were actually testing out chemotherapy at the time as well. To like, keep these people while they alive. were testing different treatments for, for syphilis. But yeah, it's still kind of insane that they're just like, after the vivisection, testing out all the weapons, the centrifuge, the portable gas chamber, they're just like, well, what else can we do? Let's give them the sif. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, on. all right, put your, place your alive. bets. Yeah, place your bets. What's going to finally kill them? So we have the testimony of a prison guard here, and this is the subject of divide. This is how they came about with the method for transmitting of syphilis. And he said, infection of venereal disease by injection was abandoned. And the researchers started forcing the prisoners into sexual acts with each other. Four or five unit members dressed in white laboratory clothing, completely covering the body with only eyes and mouth visible with the rest covered, handled the tests. A male and a female, one infected with syphilis, would be brought together in a cell and forced into sex with each other. It was made clear that anyone resisting would be shot. I think I'd rather be shot at that point. You know, I think Harrison has this bookmarked on uh, Pornhub. (laughs) (laughs) Joking. Joking. And um, in a total act of misogyny at the time, testimony from multiple guards, they actually blamed the female victims for being hosts of the diseases, even if they had been forcibly infected. Genitals of the female prisoners that were infected with syphilis syphilis were called jam-filled buns Uh. by the guards, which... Just kind of made me want a jam donut. I don't think I'm ever jam going to have a... Jam donuts from Morrison's are the best. Yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to have a, a jam-filled donut anymore after this. Nothing will put me on a jam off a jam-filled donut from Morrison's. I don't typically so... eat them, but now that I'm going to associate them with, uh, I don't know, <laughs> infected genitalia, I think I'm like in a pass. It's what I'll think about the next time I'm eating one. So women, they were they obviously would get pregnant because of these experiments. And so, you know, the Unit 731, they rolled with it and they were happy to see how the pregnancies and syphilis affected the mother as well as the fetus. And you guessed it. Like we said before, sometimes the mother would be vivisected in order to see how the fetus was developing. Delightful. Wow. Yeah, I wonder if any of these, uh, I mean, they say there's no survivors, but I wonder if anyone ever kind of snuck out. That that would be a good movie. The baby that was snuck out of uh, Unit 731. It would definitely be a horror movie. Dr. Evil. Or, uh, <laughs> Are you saying Vladimir... Dr. Evil came from Unit 731? <laughs> or Vladimir Putin. Someone came from hey, Unit Hey, Vladimir Putin is a sexy man. <laughs> hey, this they... did not happen to him. Hey, he still could be sexy, but he could be just be born from evil. There were a lot of Soviet like uh, prisoners of war in there, women that were like in their late teens. I think when you have syphilis when you're a baby, isn't your life expectancy something crazy like five years before you just die of madness? Well, not all of them had syphilis. I mean, there were women that were, I'm sure there are tons of prisons raped. that were raped. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, that's very true. Um, so uh, 
they experimented on these women so they can understand how syphilis or other diseases affect both the mother and the fetus. So they were doing a lot of just like, when a woman was pregnant, they're like, oh, great. Now we can do a whole other, you know, battery of tests and experiments here. They shot them. They infected them with various diseases. They made them suffer all different types of injuries. The female subjects were then opened up, vivisected, to study how the fetus would react to all this. They even oh experimented God. on the infants as young as three days old. Uh, there's a, a book that, um, there's a quote here, where they said, a researcher said, usually a hand of a three-day-old infant is clenched into a fist, but by sticking the needle in, the middle finger could be kept straight to make the experiment a bit easier. So this like little <laughs> fetus is just like flipping everybody off as he's being vivisected. Yeah, I don't think this baby was born with enough middle fingers. That's sadistic. <laughs> Even the Nazis weren't. It's this so. It's a whole other level of just evil and just depravity. So some of the pregnancies they did actually end up with the births and children being born within the walls of Unit Seven Three One. All of them infected with syphilis. They would be studied to determine how the infection was spreading. And for those thinking, D, that maybe one baby survived and became Putin. Mm. There is zero <laughs> accounts of any survivors from Unit 731. I'm sure Putin's Putin, not telling anybody. No, Putin is a gorgeous man. He did not come from Unit 731. <laughs> it is suspected that the majority of the children, they were killed shortly after birth or they were like aborted in vivisections. Female prisoners, they were used in um, all these types of experiments, sex experiments, and of course, they were the victims of sex crimes. So a male guard stated that one of the former researchers I located told me that one day he had a human experiment scheduled, but he still had a bit of time to kill. So he and another unit member, they took the keys to the cells and they opened up one that housed a Chinese woman. One of the unit members raped her and the other member took the keys and he opened another cell. There was a Chinese woman in there that had been used in a frostbite experiment. She had several fingers missing and her bones were black with gangrene set in. He was about to rape her anyway. And then he saw that her sex organ was festering with pus oozing to the surface. He gave up on the idea. He left and locked the door and then later went on to his experimental work. Wow. Like, so this guy was horny, horny enough to, to rape the woman who had, you know, missing fingers and gangrene bones. But... The pus-filled genitalia, he's like, you know what? Nah, I lost it. Even Mengele at that point would have been like, I think you're going too far, guys. Can we stop this? You're killing my boner. <laughs> my boner is that I need to go find my other, <laughs> my other ladies. <laughs> this is terrible. But you know, D, there's more. <laughs> there's, there's more to this. That's what I'm saying. The, it's just, it, it, the, the, the atrocities never end here at Unit 731. They did not. And if the war hadn't have ended, they would have carried on because they had a larger mission. So by 1939, their, their whole idea was to develop horrific weapons of mass destruction for use against the Chinese population, presumably the American and Soviet forces, too, if the time ever came. Inmates would be infected with several of the most lethal pathogens known to man and man and science at the time. And they wanted to breed the most lethal strains possible. So doctors monitor, monitored patients for rapid onset of symptoms and like how quickly it would progress. And they did this in the hope that the disease would spread person to person and would depopulate certain areas. Is this reminding you of anything that might have happened in 2020? 
<laughs> yeah, this does sound like Wuhan. Prisoners who survived, they were shot. But those who got sickest fastest were bled to death on a mortuary table and their blood was then used to tran- uh, to transfect other prisoners, the sickest of whom would themselves be bled to transfer the most virulent strain to yet another generation. These super strained people, they would be feasted upon by huge numbers of fleas, which the scientists would then catch. They would seal these inside clay bomb casings. This is like a really extreme fucked up pokeball. How the the hell did they catch all the diseased fleas to put them in the pokeball? I bet that was the worst day if you were a worker, if you were a researcher there, and they were like, oh, yeah, we needed to go in and catch the fleas. I bet you were like, oh, my God, not this again. So boring. I wonder if there's some kind of weird music that they played. That was the music they played. Yeah, like the Benny Hill theme song or something, like Chasing Fleas. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Benny Hill. I'm going with Benny Hill. On October the 4th, 1940, Japanese bombers, they deployed these casings that were each loaded with 30,000 fleas that had sucked blood from a dying prisoner over the Chinese village of, I am going to say this wrong, Kyushu. Kyushu. I do not speak Chinese either. As you can I'm tell. going to assume that that's the correct pronunciation. Qihao. So visitors, witnesses to the raid, they recall a fine reddish dust settling on surfaces all over town, followed by a rash of painful flea bites that afflicted nearly everyone. Over 2,000 people died, with another 1,000 people dying in nearby towns. Other attacks, which, you know, featured our friend Amphrax, they killed about 6,000 people in the surrounding area. But being Japanese, it didn't mean that you were immune to these experiments either. 1,700 Japanese troops, they were killed by their own biological weapons whilst they were attempting to unleash a biological agent. Maybe because, like I said before, they were doing this in a very, like, fun, like, whoopsie kind of fashion. There was, like, no rhyme or reason. I I just don't get why fleas. Why not just put, like, some kind of gas, like a a gas, gaseous chemical? Like, why why the fleas? Like, first of all, how difficult is it to capture the fleas and encase them inside this this Pokeball bomb? And then second of all, like, how do you know, like, the fleas are are just going to die? Well, I'm sure some die, but they're... They're breeding these fleas. I think fleas kind of makes more sense because they're very low maintenance. If a flea gets out, yeah, it's maybe not going to kill thousands of people, but it will definitely kill some. Yeah, but I, I, gas and they would... would use like a probably a special like vacuum leaf blower type thing to Just suck, suck them up all, all the diseased fleas. That's what I'm imagining. They probably had like a flea catcher, and that would be it. Would be a low job on the research unit if you like, you know, the other people would look down on you and be like, "Oh, don't talk to him. He's just a flea catcher." Wow. So, thousands of human beings—they had been experimented on. They'd been killed at Unit Seven Three One alone. Additional thousands were killed in other branches of uh, Japan's extensive biological and chemical warfare program. It is unlikely that accurate totals will ever become available, but a general estimate of around um, half a million is placed on the unit alone. So during That's the, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's staggering. It really is. Like During the final months, though, of World War II, Japan had planned to use the flea, the flea bombs as a biological weapon against San Diego. So they were oh, planning, wow. yeah, they were planning on using balloon bombs to carry the disease to America. And they had a plan also in the summer of having kamikaze pilots dumping plague-infected fleas on top of San Diego. 
Why did they hate San Diego so much? Yeah, I don't know. Because San Diego, you'd think San Francisco is closer than San Diego, but yeah, I don't know they, why. Yeah, and obviously San Francisco is full of, uh, you know, there's lots of Chinese immigrants there. So you think they would pick that? Yeah, I have no idea why they hate San Diego so much. I was about to say Three's Company. Maybe they just really hated that show, but that's like years <laughs> later. So I don't know. Um, so old. But the plan was scheduled to launch on September 22nd, 1945, but they surrendered five weeks earlier. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they would drop like infected clothing, fleas, infected supplies encased in bombs. But the resulting cholera, anthrax, and plague were estimated to kill upwards of like half a million Chinese people. So that's already on top of like the half a million that they just killed inside the unit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in August of 45, after Hiroshima and Nagasaki had both been bombed, the Soviet army invaded Manchuria and ultimately just annihilated the Japanese army and won the war for us. The Soviets won the war for us. That's debatable, but fine. I said it. People can come for me. The emperor, he read his uh, very famous surrender declaration over the radio. And so Unit 731 was officially terminated. Like well, the SS, unit workers took to destroying all ef- all evidence, and they mainly succeeded. Well, the, the thing remaining- is with, with the emperor, not to interrupt, but the thing is the emperor, okay. the, re- the main reason he surrendered wasn't just because of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like A lot of Americans like to think, oh, we dropped the bomb, that's why they end the war. The reason being is you had the Russians attacking from the east, Americans attacking from the west, and I think he was just like, there's no way we're going to win this war. But I mean, even after like we bomb the shit out of them i mean it's insane the the death total that was you know that occurred from the devastation from hiroshima and nagasaki it's insane what happened but the japanese were still entrenched ready to fight like, they didn't give up yet and so the russians started coming in from the east and you know battling via in in manchuria and then because in because of all the devastation that the americans had done i think the emperor was just like yeah fuck it i think we lost this one you don't want to mess with the Russians. That's why. As soon hey, as the Russians are at your door. Who had the bombs? <laughs> All right. I'm team Soviet. So the remaining 400 prisoners that were still on site, they were all just shot. 600 laborers who, like, you know, worked to maintain the area, also shot. And the staff were sworn to secrecy, and they were actually handed little vials of cyanide should they need them. All the mice that had been kept in the lab, they were released. This could have led up to like about, you know, a little 30,000 extra death as they were all infected with bubonic plague. And what other diseases? Oh, yeah. Crazy diseases Syphilis, that we'll never gonorrhea. know about. Yeah, who even knows? All the records that had contained anything that might have been useful to medical science at all for the last 13 years, they were just burnt. The compound, it was blown up, but as it was built with such Japanese efficiency, the buildings, they're sturdy enough to remain largely intact. They're still there to this day. Researchers mostly slipped back into civilian life in occupied Japan as if nothing had ever happened. Many of them becoming prominent members of university faculty like Hizoto Yoshimari, the sadist in charge of the frostbite departments. He went on to occupy key medical and other posts in the public and private sector. Or... They were secretly given immunity by the United States in exchange for data, which they had gathered during their human experiments. Operation Paperclip, anyone? Yeah. (laughs) 
the Soviet forces, they did manage to arrest and they tried 12 members of the research team in the um, Krabov-Voskiv war crime trials in 1949. That led to guilty verdicts for various things, but non-specifically for Unit 731. But, you know, they did go to, uh, these people went to imprisonment in the gulags. The Americans didn't even try any of the researchers, chiefly because of General Douglas MacArthur. So like Operation Paperclip, they were granted immunity. They used their information and experience into their own biological warfare program. And much like the smear campaign that America led against the Soviets in the 50s, they helped actively dismiss any victim accounts from Unit 731 as communist propaganda. Yeah, those virtuous Soviets who didn't have any kind of propaganda against Americans whatsoever. No. No, definitely not. Let's not get into this. This is another subject for another day. (laughs) The Japanese uh, government didn't even acknowledge that Unit 731 existed until recent times. And they have still yet to apologize for what they did. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like, think about this, because this happened in what, like 1945 is when it all uh, kind of wrapped up. Uh, but it wasn't until 84, 1984, that they even acknowledged any of these crimes. And they barely even did that at that point. They just kind of acknowledged that, yeah, something did happen. We, there were some experiments conducted on humans in this facility. But they, but they didn't express any kind of apology. Yeah, they've still not said, yeah, we did it. We, we're not sorry. <laughs> we just did it. So... Because Japan has just like had no lack of, you know, they're just not acknowledging it. The Japanese government themselves, they've taken it to upon themselves to spread awareness of the atrocities. The Chinese so government. Ni- the Chinese government. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. the Chinese. So in 1982, they established a museum, which is in the same place where Unit 731 operated during the war in the old buildings. It's now on my bucket list. I want to go there after I've been to the killing fields and after I've been Auschwitz for the third time. I'm going here, um, Unit 731. Um, did, so was Unit 731, I mean, is it completely torn down? Or if, if they couldn't blow it up? Like, I wonder if there's no, still remnants. Yeah, the buildings are still there. They've built half a museum inside of them. You can kind of walk around it like you can Auschwitz. It's it's there. I was looking at pictures of it, and it just looks so really ruins interesting are place still there. to go. Wow, yeah. The, bil- the buildings out. are still there. Yeah, so in August 2002, the Tokyo District Court ruled for the first time that Japan had engaged in biological warfare. So this is like, what, uh, 20 years after they first acknowledged it? Yeah. Um, Judge Koji Iwata ruled that Unit 731, on the orders of the Imperial Japanese Army Headquarters, used biological weapons on Chinese civilians between 1940 and 1942. They spread diseases, including plague and typhoid, in several cities throughout China. However, he rejected the victims' claims for any kind of compensation or reparations on the grounds that they had already been settled by international peace treaties. So we don't owe you anything. Isn't that handy for them? (laughs) So I think one of the other things about it is, unlike some of the Nazi elite, no one has ever been punished for their direct involvement with experiments at Unit 731. So unlike the Nazis and like the damage done, there's no survivors to bear witness. The Nazis had Nuremberg, which kind of, you know, closed some of the chapter. And the Nazis are the ones who are used as like the pinnacle example of like racism, national security and like wartime exigency, not the Japanese, which I would say this is worse 
Well, it's definitely on par. But the thing is, there were some people that were, I would say probably were fall guys because there were some people that were charged. Um, so there are the Tokyo trials, even though it was a bit of a farce because it was all kind of like the Americans definitely you know, colluded with the Japanese to conceal this. Uh, but the majority of the war crimes and the perpetrators were tried under the International Military Tribunal for the Far East, which was formed to try accused people in Japan itself. And so they called these trials the Tokyo Trials. And they tried Class A war criminals. And so this was like the first major setback for Japan on the road to effective apology because they weren't really happy about it. Uh, the trials saw 920 war criminals executed. Uh, 475 wow. received life sentences and uh, about 3,000 um, received some prison time. But the big players, like the main guys, like Emperor Hirohito, he was never indicted on anything. And then there are many other accused right-wing war, cri- war criminals that served in post-war Japanese governments, served in universities. You know, they never really acknowledged the atrocities that they committed and condoned that happened in Unit 731. And I think they're mostly able to escape blame swiftly because of the pressures of the impending Cold War. So, yeah, you know, the, the smear campaign that started. Well, smear campaign on both sides. <laughs> I mean, I know you, for some reason, think that the Russians are this virtuous culture, but Stalin was no fucking saint. In fact, St- Stalin no, he wasn't, but I'm and Soviet. Hitler, hand in hand, started <laughs> World War II by invading Poland on both sides. So well, I wouldn't say debates. either one of those, well, those people are pious, and they still aren't even to this day. But, you know, the Cold War, fact of the matter is, Cold War was uh, definitely happening, and I think both... Both countries, you know, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were just like, I think it's time to uh, choose our allies to, you know, learn as much as we can, build as much you know, weaponry as we possibly can, because there's going to be another war. You know, there's going to be each other. You know, we got the bomb, but they're going to try to build a bigger bomb. So now, you know, you have like uh, the, the beginnings of the Cold War. Um, Dr. Shiro Ishii, the leader of Japan's yeah. biochemical weapons program, and his staff were able to trade information obtained from their experiments for immunity in the Tokyo trials. I mean, this is ridiculous. This type of party would never happen with Mengla or any of the German counterparts. You know, no. what, what? I mean, if you think about what these guys did, and they were able to trade it for complete immunity, no prosecution whatsoever. No one was hung. You know, there, there was no, like... Um, you know, uh, a Holocaust, these, you know, the Holocaust researchers that were coming after these guys later on to try them. Like, I'm amazed that, like, you know, international, you know, uh, uh, groups never came, came banded together to try to try these guys after the fact. I mean, we're still trying Nazis. You know, I think the difference is, though, is that, yeah, there's a there's huge evidence of what the Nazis did. They just didn't cover up that their crimes against humanity very well. Whereas Unit 731, all that really remained was the buildings and then like folklore about people and like some, you know, prominent members of researchers who anonymously will testify now and again. That's the huge difference. Well, that's the thing. Germans also were very diligent. They took assiduous records of everything. They're very methodical. You know, they I did. Mean, it, so when you know, the Holocaust... The, the concentration camps were invaded, people found all these records, all this evidence. I mean, you had you know, prisoners of war, you, know, you had the survivors that could attest to the, 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 the horrible things that happened. But the Japanese scientists, I think, were a lot more astute. I mean, they, uh, you know, they banded together to know 
you know, they first of all got rid of all the evidence. They destroyed all the prisoners. You know, they destroyed the facilities themselves. But I think they also kind of realized, yeah, I think the Americans are kind of interested in uh, some of our data. I think they might be kind of interested in some biological weapons, some chemical warfare. So I think they use this as a powerful bargaining chip. Unlike the Nazis, which never really did. Well, somewhat the Nazis did. I mean, you had Operation Paperclip. I mean, there were a lot of Nazis that the Americans were like, hey, you know, we could actually use your minds. You know, come over. You can be a head scientist. Yeah, sure. You ran Auschwitz, designed the gas chambers, <laughs> but that's fine. You can make atomic weaponry for us. But I think we'll change same- your name. You can settle down in Denver. <laughs> You'll like American it. American is apple pie. Yeah. You know? But I, I, th- I think that's kind of what happened. It's like, you know, they, the Japanese were shrewd. And I think they realized America has a bigger threat that's coming. And so you could use our valuable information. You could use us as allies as long as you give us immunity from, uh, from prosecution. And that's exactly what happened. I think that's why a lot of these people, you know, uh, Shiro Ishii and uh, a lot of his cohorts never even saw a day in prison. Nothing ever happened to them. And so, you know, and, and, that, and that's the thing. It's not like this is the first time that anything like this has ever happened. But, and you can't just fully blame the U.S. on this as well. Like, I was reading that uh, the Soviets, who did actually have, you know, the Karabovask war crime trials, where they did actually try, like, 12 people, but the sentences were so light. No one was even tried for anything that happened at Unit 731. And they ended up also... Uh, making, uh, you know, immunity uh, 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 decisions here and trading leniency for access to data. So Yeah, I'd read about that as well. But it's like I said, they couldn't try them for what they've done in Unit 731 because there was no evidence. So they tried them for other things. That's why their sentences were so light. But I'm also sure that they were shaking hands clandestinely. They they definitely were. I mean, the Soviet yeah. Union were building a biological weapons facility in Severodlovsk, and they used documentation and data that was captured from Unit 731 in Manchuria to build this. So, yeah, sure. They were exactly, you know, complicit with them just as much as the Americans were. But so, at, least they, at least they did something. You know, they did well, the bare minimum. They, tried they sent them people. to a gulag for 25 years. I don't want to do 25 fucking years in a gulag. Well, yeah, I mean, some people were, I mean, there were like a few people that I guess got a, a, a little slap on the wrist. I mean, I don't think anybody was put to death over, over what was uncovered at, that happened at Unit 731 on either side. Definitely not with the Americans. I mean, I think we yeah. profited off of what they, what they tested, but so the Russians. But I mean, it's interesting, though, that there's like the ethical decisions that differ so sharply between Germany and Japan. But I think what the Americans, the American scientists and policymakers and government officials decided that with Japan, there's a new war that's coming. And I think at this point, we need to make new allies. So let's make an example out of Germany and let's profit on what Japan has to offer us. And I think hence Operation Paperclip. Same thing happened in, uh, you know, with German scientists as well. Well, yeah, it's like somewhere along the way. They shook hands in the dark. For whatever ethical reasons that, you know, we don't run countries. It's not up to us. Stockpiling weapons. They want they want to, you know, build their munitions. Yeah. But, you know, the remains of Unit 731, they still stand. They're a half ruin, half museum. No sight of justice for anyone in the future at any point. I doubt that ever will be. 
And as the last witnesses of Unit 731, they will grow old and die. So will all the memories of the atrocities that occurred at Unit 731. Well, I don't know about all of them. I wonder if some of the uh, the, the records for bird flu and uh, bat <laughs> bird viruses. Flu. Oh, and swine flu too. And swine flu. HN, <laughs> what is it? HNV virus. I wonder if some of the records of those are still being, you know, you know, uh, iterated upon in some Chinese laboratory or in some Japanese laboratory. Maybe there were unit. secrets were sold into a new As unit. Unit seven free two. Exactly. That's owned by Pfizer. <laughs> and now they're experimenting on these vac quote unquote vaccines on us. What a dark subject. I guess we'll see in a couple of years what happens. You might start you might become a Cronenberg. Game over, D. Game fucking <laughs> over. People, this episode 817 here is sick and wrong. Uh, we got phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032. But first, here's a word about our Patreon page. Greetings, loyal subjects in the UK and in the colonies. I love the sick and wrong Patreon. It gives me news stories, extra phone calls, and lots of tips on how to deal with my son Andrew, the sweaty nonce. Anybody found in the UK or the colonies not subscribed to the Patreon will face beheading. Thank you. So we got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. We've been getting a lot of good calls lately. I, mean, I I'm like not just it. I like to that. hear that. I'm like, I'm... I'm being sincere we've been getting some good calls uh lately also people have been sending him on on uh facebook facebook messenger and uh people have been emailing some calls um you can email us at a uh, sick podcast at uh, gmail.com we did get an email from uh from a first-time caller actually long-time Ooh. listener first-time caller and time listener i would say his drunk dad rivals your own. Ooh. Hi guys, Stuart Buskey here. I just wanted to share my drunk dad story. The difference to others is that my drunk dad uh, was actually also a transvestite. See, you can't say that about your drunk dad. No, I'm pretty sure. If he ever put on like a wig or a skirt, it was done in a Freddie Mercury uh, kind of like JP way. He wasn't done in a real transvestite Edward a, type way. A real transvestite way, yeah. So I don't know. Now, if I, if, if I was betting on who's got the cooler drunk dad, I think I might be going for Stewart's right now. But we'll see. The cooler drunk dad. <laughs> if, if I had to choose which drunk dad I'd want, the more colorful drunk dad, I think I'm going for Stewart's. Hey, my dad had Ozzy Osbourne stories. Oh, I forgot about that. Your dad was in yeah. a doom, like a proto doom metal band. Yeah. All right. And he, okay, my dad they're tied right now. For they're... Arthur Brown, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. my dad's da up there. Your dad's definitely pretty cool. Okay, okay, they're tied right now. They're tied. <laughs> yeah. let's, see, let's see how this plays out. What makes it worse, he was a violent transvestite okay. and drunk. So. This is cool. This is way cooler now. All right. He's a little you know bit ahead. I always say, like, you remember ZZ Sputnik, the band? Oh, yeah, I yeah, say one of, Sputnik. Uh, Not a good band, but I love their look. And my The reason I love their look is because they're that type of transvestite that would have a knife that would stab you in a back alley. 
that's that's the type of transvestite i like is the dangerous like rocky horror type that will kill you the dolls kind of look like that the new york dolls the dolls also yeah. dangerous not arthur kane though who oh, like wouldn't God. even harm a fly but the rest of them definitely yeah they kind of look like that but and drunk so you can imagine how awkward some of his episodes were it came, he came out to us kids when i was about 10 years old over the breakfast table so uh basically <laughs> over a bowl of porridge as you can imagine my appetite was over in an instant <laughs> at 10 years old would you be like you're a what do you think he came down in like his just like his full transvestite like just get up and was like this is my name and just described it to them and they were 10 and having to understand I hope he was wearing like lingerie, like his his. That's why I imagine Stewart's mom's lingerie, and, like garters. Just been like, so I'm not a woman, but I like dressing as one. All right, you <laughs> yeah. little fucking ingrate. <laughs> Eat your porridge, son. Eat God. your fucking porridge. <laughs> Wait, no, Stewart's dad is a German. Stuart. Oh, Stewart. really? German. Oh, that yeah, makes so even more just... sense. It's even more terrifying, isn't it? I imagine like he was wearing like um, a German SS lady's military uniform as well as the stockings and suspenders and high heels. He's like Ilsa. <laughs> that's who his, yeah, that's who his like dad is. He's like Ilsa, she-wolf of the SS. Wow. Yes, she-wolf of Stuart Wasky. <laughs> but at 10 years old, I wouldn't even know how to comprehend that. I'd be like, okay. Yeah, I think it's a bit young 10. Yeah, that's weird. Like, you know, wait for the hormones. Wait for the hormonal stage of 13 to, like, dash all the kids' dreams. Well, one thing, too, about, like, transvestism. Do you... Like, like if you're transsexual, I understand, like, you you are, you know, a woman trapped inside another person's, a man's body. So you want to look like a woman. Yeah. yeah, Vice versa. You want to look like a woman or look like a man or whatever and, and live as that, you know, the, the sex that, that you gender. feel more comfortable with, the gender you feel more comfortable with. But as a transvestite, isn't it more like a, of a sexual nature? Like you get off. For some it on... is. Yeah. For some, like, is it I a know lifestyle that, as a transvestite? Like, someone like Ed Wood, who's probably one of the mo- first ever famous transvestites he just liked it because he loved to be he loved to be in touch with his feminine side he didn't necessarily like have a boner and but it's not a sexual a satisfaction you're getting by wearing women's clothing for some it definitely is i have a, a suspicion here that Stuart wasky's father definitely got a boner when he was well, that's what i'm saying that then what clothes. i'm trying to say in Stuart wasky's father here like you'd think there's like a time and a place then you know because I, I I knew a, a friend of mine in San Francisco. Um, well, he was the he was married to a stripper that I work with, and he was into um, dressing as a woman. But it was more of like a sexual thing, and so like they would kind of role play, and he would wear like uh, her outfits and things like that, or whatever, whatever you know, whatever blows your dress up. But I don't think, and they had a <laughs> kid. They had a, they had a couple kids. I don't think he was walking around like in his you know, the, the kids, mom's lingerie in the kitchen making eggs for them. Yeah, right, so maybe this of... is a case of it is more of a, he wants his life. He wants to be more it's feminine. Like... But he doesn't want to change genders. He's happy with what he has. That's probably what it is. <laughs> yeah, well, he would yell and scream to my mother and us kids while dressed in her clothes, believe it or not. <laughs> I know it sounds made up, but... Is absolutely true, I swear to God. 
I needed to share this story with you because uh, today there was a vast amount of tranny stuff on the Discord. I was having flashbacks, and I'm blaming you, Warwick Davis. <laughs> no, anyway, this was a little bit of my story. Hope you enjoyed it. Keep it sick, keep it wrong. Stuart out. Stuart, I want to hear more. I want to hear some more. more. Yeah, like, did you go, like, did he go to your cricket games or something dressed as your... Cricket in Germany? No, but did... You live with cricket in Germany? He's British, isn't he? He's German. Oh, wait, does he live in Germany? I thought he was a British guy. No, he lives in Britain now, but I'm pretty sure he's talking about his childhood in Germany. I must also, as a side note, say that I love the bromance that has occurred between Warwick and Stuart Waskey. They're, like, just such best buddies. Funny that you should mention that because on second show, we definitely get into Stuart's call where he kind of gives a little more detail about the uh, the bromance between uh, him himself and uh, and Warwick. Warwick Davis. It's a very magical relationship, and I love the way they interact with each other on the uh, sick and wrong group too. They definitely keep that group oh, on like, Discord chugging along, and, and the sick and wrong private group. Oh, the oh on Facebook as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of camaraderie there, you know? I, I love both of them. They are both good eggs. But yeah, I, I want to know. I want to know, as you're growing up, like, how was it growing up with a transvestite father? Like, did he, was he open about it? Were you embarrassed? Did you, you know, like, in, did you go to the mall and he was dressed as you, like, in your mother's clothing? How what did was you feel his, about yeah, it, Yeah, I want to know his, his transvestite name, like, for Christmas time, for, um, for Tenenbaum. Did you get him, like, high-heeled shoes? <laughs> <laughs> Did you buy him like, you know, hose, hosiery or something, stockings? Yeah. <laughs> like Wolford stockings or something on uh on Christmas. Oh, very decadent. Wolfords. Do you think he was made of money? I don't know. It's fancy. Maybe all the kids like pooled their money. It's a special uh father. <laughs> to buy day. dad a pair of Wolford dice. <laughs> but yeah, I think right now he is definitely rivaling uh K Rambo's drunk dad. They could duke it out. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. I wouldn't mind just uh, spending a weekend with the two of them. Be drunk. I wouldn't mind spending the weekend with this next guy, though. Greetings from Daddy Swede. Hey! Uh, I would like to extend my deepest thanks for your well wishes and condolences on the spawning of my Asgardian progeny, uh, Loki. This. Whoa! Did you really name your kid Loki? Did he? He's allowed to. He's Swedish. That's amazing. Like Swedish yeah, I know I cool said name. this on the Discord, but uh, congratulations there, Swede. You know, I think yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. It's a little little baby Loki. You gotta send us some pictures. I'm gonna, well, I'm, they're on the Discord. If you want to see pictures of like a baby that is just absolutely drunk on tit milk, um, <laughs> he's on there all the time. <laughs> A short Thai story from way in the past to salivate your degenerate minds for the upcoming series. Uh, anyway, I was walking down this road in one of Bangkok's more seedier back alleys. When I heard this ruckus, I saw a tall blonde man running out of a massage parlor screaming, No! No! I can't do it! With a small Thai woman chasing his heels calling out, But, but, I'm doing it for my family! Uh, he grabbed me as he ran past and said, don't go in there. With sweat beating down his brow and tears running down his cheeks. Well, as you could have figured, I was hard by uh, I was hard as a rock by then. That was the best massage I ever got. 
for someone's family. Weirdly enough, when I left uh, the massage parlor, I ran into this hook-nosed short fellow with an ambiguous religious disposition. When I left, um, he... Yeah, I wonder who he's talking about. ...the bag of gold, and he asked me, Is there really more than one Swede in Sweden? And don't you even dare glance at my shekels. <laughs> Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. <laughs> Thank you. I do love the Swedes music bed. That was like some porn, like 70s porn music going on oh, there. I liked it. I liked his, uh, his dig at you about when the other Swedish guy rang in. Do you remember? And you thought it was Swede. Because to oh, you, yeah. there could only be one Swede in <laughs> one Sweden. Swede in Sweden. This <laughs> <laughs> dig at you. Hey, they all kind of sound similar, all right? Oh, and but... all Jews look the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> but this Swede, I should know this because he, he puts these uh, really clever music beds. They're um, you know, uh, last night I was hanging out with uh, P-Town and uh, um, we were chatting about uh, he went to Thailand like God, it must have been like now about 15 years ago with like an ex-girlfriend from a long time ago, probably even long. Yeah, like at least 15, 16 years ago. Anyway, they went to some islands like I think these islands were made famous in the movie The Beach. I was about to say, it's Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Yeah, Yeah. those islands. But this was like a long time ago. I heard now that it's like, it's so touristy, you don't even want to go there. But he went there and he said it was like, yeah, they went and they stayed in this, it was almost like a hut, but it was definitely like, it was nice. Um, But it was like this, I mean, it was probably like a four-star kind of hotel sort of thing, but you had these like little huts that you stayed in. And so he and his girlfriend at the time stayed in this hut and they had like their own section of the beach that they could do. And he was just like, yeah, he goes, it costs like 30 bucks a week or something. It was ridiculous. And he was like, and there's this guy that was in the hut next to us that he kind of became friends with. He was like an older English guy. I would say probably late 50s. And he goes, but it was weird because, you know, I'd go outside and it'd be like smoking a cigarette. I'd look over and there's just like two young Thai girls that would come out of his place every now and then and they'd look at me and just kind of laugh and like run away. And I was like, well, how young? He's like, I don't know. They're like 18, 17 years old, something like that. And uh, he's like, and is then this I'd... Marshall Island Tony? No, this is a different guy. But uh, <laughs> he was like this, he's like this kind of like fat, older English dude. And he goes, I don't know, he was friendly. I'd talk to him every now and then. And he goes, so one day finally I was just like, so are those your daughters? And the guy was like, fuck no. He's just like, I bought them for, he's like a hundred bucks for the week. Oh, and he's, <laughs> he's just, just like, banging them. Wow. He goes, okay. I guess that's how it goes. He goes, oh yeah. He's like, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> you know who needs to go here? Licky Liam. I, maybe, but maybe Tigers. I think he likes British, like Northern like slag British porn stars. Northern slags. Well, I can't yeah. blame him. But this seems like <laughs> something Marshall Island totally would do. But he wouldn't want the chicks hanging around. He'd probably pay them to come and go. Literally. It's just crazy. Like this fat old English guy just basically rented two hookers for a week and they just stay with you for a week they probably cost like 10 quid as well yeah he said it was like a hundred dollars for like the whole week that's nothing and they really like cook you your it. food and you fuck them and they give you a they sponge. cook your food yeah they cook you food they uh pet right. said they, he said they cooked him food like curries uh gave him Pedicures. a sponge bath they would like cut his toenails i'm just like god this is great you know why not <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, last call we have here is uh, from somebody who probably has experienced that on several occasions. Hey, it's Tony M. I yes. promise to tell you about the American guy that owned the bar in the Philippines that had a lot of the sex shows. So sorry for keeping you on the edge of your seats all this time. Do you remember that the last time he called in, there was like this uh, deviant sex bar in the Philippines. I forget what area of the Philippines it is, but there are all manners of deviancy going on there. And then I forget how it ended, but it was a bit of a cliffhanger. Was this the bar that had the um, the the Jesus painting in the back? Yeah, was I think this bar? is the one. That's yeah. the same bar. Yeah, I love martial art until these calls. One thing about the bar they didn't tell you about is when it, when you went in, they had all these pictures on the wall of him going to these hotel rooms with his staff. So he'd be messing around in this room with like 30 girls, something like that. So that was cool, but as I said, this guy was a bit much even for your typical Philippine whoremonger. For example, <laughs> he said that to make sure he had a good supply of fresh flesh working at his bars, he would don- donate money to orphanages you know, to build oh, a relationship no. with them. And then when the girls got too old for the orphanages, he'd say, well, you know, why don't you come work for me? I'll give you a little hobble to stay in and you can you know, serve drinks at my bar. And one thing, it wasn't that unusual to see um, Terry girls working at some of these bars just serving drinks. Wait, what do you call them? Terry's girls? I thought you said Cherry's girls. Cherry's girls. Cherry Cherry's girls. girls. Harry's girls. Harry's girls. <laughs> or do you, but yeah, I don't know. Is Cherry girls like a thing? I don't know. I just think that, again, reminds me more of maybe what they would call prostitutes in like Germany. They'd be like, that's a cherry girl. Cherry girl. Well, it's something kind of sweet about it. There's nothing sweet going on here. <laughs> <laughs> they even had a, on their IDs, they'd have a little C in front of their numbers. So you knew not to waste um, time with them. Although some guys went for them, which I thought was pure insanity because if you even try to tell me there's something better than a good Filipino hooker, um, we're going to fight. Anyway, after these girls would like would you know, work at his bars for a couple months serving drinks, he'd go in there at, in their little hovels at night and um, you know, basically rape them. And after doing that a few times, he'd say, well, you're not a cherry anymore, anymore so... It is cherry. Why don't you start? So cherry. So are they virgins? The yeah. cherry girls. Cherry they... girls. Okay. So this would make a really good like seventies exploitation film. This bar. Yeah, I could. I could see it, it could be called cherries. Cherries. Oh, yeah. cher- I like cherries. I like the taste of cherries. I like the smell <laughs> of cherries. The color of cherries. 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 <laughs> at the bar, and that was just the tip of the iceberg with this guy. Now, rumor had it he was into little boys and girls, and no, I'm Sounds sure he would like have fought a pile of rocks if he thought a snake was in it. <laughs> but one Equal night, I just happened to be in the Philippines on vacation from the Marshall Islands at the time. I just happened to be in the Philippines. Yeah, I don't know how I ended up here. Yeah, I'm not a sexual tourist. I'm just happened to be here. <laughs> Happening to be here. I love the fact he's like, I'm so overworked on the Marshall Islands. <laughs> I'm just so sick of the prostitutes there. And I need to go to the Philippines and have a break from, from Marshall Island living. I'm growing tired of the Marshallese. So I might as well go to the Philippines. See what they have to Funny. offer. Some guys uh, broke into his house and filled his brain housing group full of lead. Ooh. And in the Philippines, you know, 
generally the cops, they can't be bothered to investigate something as petty as a murder. So um, if an if American was murdered, generally the embassy would put pressure on them to, you know, to investigate. But the funny thing was, with this guy, everyone from the embassy on down, they were like, nah, we can't be bothered. we got other things to do. So I don't think they ever investigated it at all. Actually, there's some rumors it was a police hit that took him out, but that was the end of him. I mean, the guy sounds like a vile human being, so I don't think there's uh, much, much of a loss to society with that what? dude. What happened to the bar then? Who yeah, that's what over? I'm wondering. Yeah, Marshall Island. Yeah. I mean, that's the uh, Marshall Island. Tony, what happened to the bar? Like, did it just fold? Did someone else take ownership of it? Did like uh, the the head cherry end up taking taking it over? <laughs> I would love that if the head cherry then became like the madam and just carried on this awful going to orphanages and like rinsing them for new girls for cherries girls, and it just never ended. And still to this day you will find a cherries girl in the Philippines. You know, I'm wondering, Marshall Island Tony, being that he's a bit of a connoisseur of the, I don't know, Asia Pacific Peninsula. The Pacific Theater. Yeah, the Pacific yeah. Theater. You're a connoisseur <laughs> of the uh, Pacific Theater. Which country do you think has the best poontang? Like, what, what do you prefer the most? Japan, Chinese, Philippines... Like what? What? Which? Which girl do you think is the is is your, I guess, preferred prostitute? Yeah, and what's your least favorite as well? Yeah, and wait, okay, yeah. What's the best and what's the worst? That's what I want to know, and why? Uh, yeah, details. Yeah, want we want details. some details. Although I do always love his uh, story. He does give some good details. A great narrator. He's a. He's he's a great storyteller. He's a great I love story Marshall. Great narrator. Too. He really is. He's one of my favorites. Anyway, people call the our hotline, 323-522-4032. Um, check out our Patreon. We got a lot going on in Patreon this, uh, th- these days, actually. We really do. You know, we got a whole second show that we're doing on Patreon. We call it Second Show, because I couldn't think of a better <laughs> name. <laughs> yeah, it's but a sick, great, sick very imaginative second. title. Sick and Wrong, the second show. I just call it Second Show, SS. Um, sick and Wrong, second show comes out every <laughs> Sunday. Same time as the main show, but it's a bit saucier. It's a bit spicier, but it's a, it's a whole show. Uh, this week, we actually get into um, uh, a conversation I had last night when I was hanging out with, uh, with uh, my friend P-Town. He was telling me about Stone Mountain, which is this like white supremacist Mount Rushmore in Atlanta that Kate Rambo really wants to go check out. Like Kate, Kate Rambo's like, when I come to America, you've never even been to this country. That's one of the no. first things you want to see. No, uh, what I'm planning is when I've moved over, the first anniversary, I'm going to go to Stone Mountain and <laughs> se- really celebrate being American at Stone Mountain. If there's people on the, uh, or live in Atlanta or on the East Coast here, you guys might know what I'm talking about with Stone Mountain. But yes, it's very racist. It's also very hilarious. Uh, I want to see the laser show. Yeah, P-Town was telling me about the laser show. We also get into uh, my new infatuation with the Chucky TV series that I've been watching, uh, this binging, I would say, this past week. Anyway, that's Sick and Wrong second show. It's The format's a bit different. It's a little more uh, personal, a little more spicier. We also do a news story. We do some phone calls. Comes out every Sunday, just five bucks a month, you get Sick and Wrong second show. And for a few bucks more, you get Sick and Wrong news. Uh, this week, uh, we kind of did a weekly roundup of um, 
some of the uh, the the popular news stories of the week. Well, for sick and wrong, uh, Paul Rudd crowned the sexiest man alive. I don't know how I feel about that. You can listen to Sick and Wrong and find out. Um, we that. talk about the Roadhouse remake with Jake Gyllenhaal. Stop talking about it. No. No one asked for it. Kate Rambo's incensed. Me. She's incensed. I am, everyone, everyone who knows me knows that Roadhouse is in like my top five favorite movies. I was so upset when I heard that they were making a Bill and Ted free. This is like I am triple angry. Triple the anger I felt yeah, but at that the moment. The CG is going to be incredible. It's, no! <laughs> it's going to be awful. And finally, Britney Spears is free. She's free. She's flying free. She's uh, no longer in part of the uh, conservatorship. So we talk about all that on the Sick and Wrong News. And also, Kate Rambo does Sick and Wrong Overkill. Kate Rambo, what did you do on Overkill this week? I did a Nancy Wake, who was the Gestapo's most wanted at one point. They placed, they placed a five million franc bounty on her head. And uh, she is a fucking badass. So go check out the Sick and Wrong Minnesota that we call Overkill. It's all on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. Support the show. We appreciate it. Uh, we also got a, a T Public store, which is doing like this kind of, um, I don't know, it's like a pre-holiday sale or something, like a pre-Thanksgiving sale or something. They're always doing something. Uh, SickandWrongPodcast.com slash shop. You click on the picture of the Pope. You know, uh, this chick named Laura that's a fan of the show, um, she posted on the, uh, or she she posted uh, in, in like uh, at tag Sick and Wrong's Instagram page, but she had a picture of the the Gimp Mask T-shirt, and it looked awesome. I hadn't seen anyone actually wearing that shirt, but this oh, was that's like, so cool. well, this was one of the first stickers that we ever did. It was like the Gimp Mask, and it just said Sick and Wrong on it. And I remember like it was my early years of even doing graphic design, and I. I I don't know. I, I, I thought it'd be make a cool shirt, but no one's actually ordered it. She posted she was wearing the shirt. It looked amazing. Anyway, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Go pick up some Sick and Wrong uh, merch. Finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. I was trying to find a song that kind of tied in with Unit 731, but I'm like, God, I don't even think, I can't even think of anything as awful, you know, that, that could really like summarize what we just discussed. But then I saw, then I, then I realized Fucking Slayer did a song called Unit 731. Doesn't that make sense? It does not surprise me. <laughs> no, it makes perfect me. sense. It was off a you know, record that a lot of people, I, you know, I know I have this record, but I just I didn't even think about it because it's not one of the Slayer records I listen to all the time. But World Painted Blood, which is a pretty good album, actually. It came out in 2009. But this song was written by uh, Jeff Hanneman, Rust in Power. Uh, I think it was like one of Hanneman's last... Uh, I think it was the it last must have album been. that he was on, yeah. Yeah. Like, amazing guitarist. Anyway, Hanneman quoted about the song Unit 731. He said, they would do experiments, kind of like the whole Mengla thing, except they were just doing it for the hell of it. They weren't even trying to get some kind of idea out of it or whatever. I mean, they would take pregnant women, cut them open, and pull out the babies. What are you achieving by doing that? So it's just yeah, something Jeff. that's that's little known. A friend of mine told me about it. I read a couple books, and I wrote a fucking song. Unit Aww. 731 by Slayer. We're going to end the show with that one. People, we'll be back next week with episode 818. Till then, take it easy.
Oh, they're so pleased. Thank you very much. Play a song by Dirty Harry. He, Harry Carahan. He, Dirty Harry. Harry Carahan. I love Dirty Harry Carahan. <laughs>